Welcome back to Word and Table, a weekly podcast on liturgy, sacrament, and the great tradition of Christian worship and why it is vital in our world today. I'm your host, Alex Wilgus, and I am here as always with Father Stephen Gautier. Welcome back, Father Stephen. Uh, Great to be back, Alex. Father Stephen is the canon theologian of the Diocese of the Upper Midwest in the Anglican Church in North America, and he is Director of Formation at St. Paul's House of Formation in the Greenhouse Movement. Father Stephen, today we're going to try something um, a little bit different. Uh, Don't try this at home, folks. We're going to be doing kind of the podcast version of kind of like a circus performance. We're going to be uh, describing and explaining some very common Christian symbols. And these are obviously things that you see with your eye, you don't hear with your ear, and we are a fully aural medium, Father Stephen, unless I'm, we have some kind of secret live stream feed that I'm unaware of. Uh, Have you set anything like that up? Uh, Nothing I'm going to tell you about. I'd lose my decoder (laughs) ring. They take away my decoder ring. Okay. Yeah. So we're, we're going to go through some common Christian symbols and I'm hoping that you've got your, uh, you know, your, your imagination caps on because I'm going to be describing these. And, uh, but the good news is if you have been uh, in and around church or uh, have looked at uh, Christian paintings and icons and things like that, Um, or maybe even in some cases, the back of cars, uh, you've seen some of these, these symbols. So, uh, if you, uh, hopefully you'll, you'll, you'll kind of pick up on what I'm talking about. If not, um, that's okay. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to post, I'm going to do my best to, to, to post some of these symbols in the show notes. Um, I don't know how successful I'm going to be at that if there's some limitation there, but we'll go ahead and get started because the first one is a gimme. Um, you've been seeing this symbol on the back of uh, minivans for, you know, the past 20 years or so. And it just looks, it's just a very simple line. Maybe on board. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll have to get into that one in a separate episode, but this one is okay. just, it looks like a fish and it's just like a line drawing of a fish. Like if you just take uh, your finger and trace kind of a, a, a semicircle bowing up and then you take it from the, the end point of that and then do another semicircle bowing the other way. You've kind of got this little, let me suggest sort of like a blimp with a ribbon at the back end. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> so sometimes you just have the, the line drawings. But it looks like a fish. It looks like a fish. That's right. It looks like a fish. So sometimes you just have the line drawing. Um, the, sometimes you have, if you want to be really extra about it, you have the line drawing with some letters on the inside and they're kind of crazy looking letters. It looks like an I, like an X, like an O with a little line through it and then a Y and then like a kind of mathematic symbol looking E. Um, so, uh, let's start with the fish though. So where does this come from? Um, what does a symbol mean? Yeah, because it, it looks like a fish cause it is. And that it simply says fish, which seems even crazier to have something that looks like a fish and then say, Hey, in case you missed it, this is a fish, <laughs> but the letters mean, and normally it wasn't with those letters, but they stand for in Greek, Jesus Christ, son of God, savior. Mm. It's sort of a statement of our faith. The first, the I is, is it I and J are the same letter. And so, Jesus, like in Latin, you know, Jesus is Jesus. X stands for CH. The Greek CH is, looks like an X. So, Christos, Jesus Christos, Jesus Christ. Theu means gods. It's, you know, it's, it's like geo, God apostrophe as gods. And Yos, the one that looks like a Y there is son. And finally, Soter is, um, is savior. So, Jesus Christ, son of God, savior. So, if you just made this little fish-like symbol, it was a reference to our belief, our faith in Jesus Christ is the Son of God and our Savior. 
it's basically uh, the creed, the Christian creed, mm. symbolically. So in a world where you couldn't put some Christian symbols, you could always put a picture of a fish and people know what you meant. Got it, got it. And so the the word, the letters that appear on the inside is just an anagram, basically, for that. That's just an anagram, right? Got it. Okay, cool. Well, that one has has, has enjoyed quite a revival recently because thank, indeed it has thanks to the thanks to the soccer moms. Um, so okay, so this the next one uh, is maybe a little bit more, uh, maybe has a little bit more edgy ancient cred these days, but it it just looks like a P, uh, like a capital letter P. And then an X kind of over the stem of the P. It just looks like a P and an X. Right. Uh, but so, so what does that mean? Well, a lot, of, a lot of people incorrectly think it means it's for peace because the Latin word for peace is pax, P-A-X. So a lot of people erroneously think and like it because they think it stands for peace. Hmm. It stands for the Prince of Peace because it stands the, that X symbol again is C-H for Christ, you know, the first letters of his name. And then the second letter is R. In Greek, and what you could do is you could abbreviating a name you just put the first letters like if you wanted to abbreviate my name Stephen sorry if you wanted to abbreviate my name Stephen you might put ST uh-huh uh-huh ST Gautier you know and so that's what we're doing we have Christ's name abbreviated so it's a symbol so you have CHR the X is the CH and then the R on top stands for Christos so it's just a decoration meaning Christ okay so it's just an abbreviation you've just laid the one letter over the other yeah. Okay, got it. I think actually if you, I, I think uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, the author, used to do that in a really cool looking way. He would kind of put J.R.R.T., kind of layer it over each other. It just looks like this cool symbol, but it's, yeah, okay. It's very, uh, was very, very common. It's less common in our day, but it used to be very, very common. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay. Great. Okay, so this second, this this third one is similar. It's It looks like an uppercase I, and then it's got, uh, an X over it, and it looks like uh, it, this one looks like I don't know if it's a, if it's a, 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 a an essential feature of this Father Stephen, but it looks like it's kind of got some serif. It's like a serif font on the no, end. No, that's of it. not an essential. Okay, feature. got it. No, so just I with an X over it. So I with an X on top. All right. So I, I feel like most, I know where this is going, but but how about you explain it? Well, first of all, uh, most people probably haven't seen it because where you'll this is very ancient, mm. and you'll often see it in ancient Christian churches, really ancient structures. So if you're traveling in the Middle East or something and get ready, if you see, you can, you can amaze your friends. You can see this I with an X on top of it. So like, you know, and you'd say, I know what that, that stands for. The first letter of Jesus' name is that J and I of the same letter is I, okay. And then Christ is, you know, the second name, Jesus Christ is C-H for Christ, so Jesus Christ. Okay. It has the initials of Jesus and Christ together. Again, you don't see it. I, I can't remember ever seeing it really in modern jewelry or something, but it is not uncommon in very ancient Christian architecture and things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so this, is, into it. this is a less common one that I, I don't yes. I don't know if I can pick out where I've seen it before, but more Greek, more, more Greek letters, uh, abbreviations. Great. Um, Cool. So here's here's one that's probably a little bit more common, especially if uh, you've been around Roman Catholic circles. But it it looks like an kind of a stylized uh, three letters I H S. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes it looks like the little H has kind of like a little crossbar over the top of it. So, um, but but they look kind of lowercase. They don't look like uppercase ones. It's like lowercase I, lowercase H, lowercase S. So I'm I'm assuming probably more Greek. But what does that stand for? Well, actually, it's, it's between Greek and Latin has an unusual history. Hmm. Uh, it was very, very common because it's the basic symbol of the Jesuit order. 
but it also is just widely used, especially in, in, in the Roman church. But you'll see it a lot of Roman churches on investments and things. It originally came from the first three letters, the three capital letters of the first three letters of the name of Jesus in Greek, which look like I, H, and Sigma, you know, which is the letter like sum, you know, that we mm-hmm. see in math. And however, when it was used, people came up with a different explanation in the West. Because in Latin, it looks like IHS, and they said, well, I and J are the same, so Jesus, and it would be savior of, savior of men, you know, Jesus hominum salvator, Jesus, mankind savior, you know, Jesus, the savior of men. So they made that up, basically, to go with it. Okay. <laughs> you know, they had no clue that this was from Greek. And so people came up with something, actually, and this really took off. Nice. And so people love that. So and the little cro- that little cross uh, beam on the a- H is just decorative like a cross. Okay, I but see. But it's basically a say, saying Jesus, the savior of mankind. Jesus, the savior of man. So, but it actually was the first three letters of the name of Jesus originally. So started as another Greek abbreviation. Then later when Latin, the, the Latin church uh, started, you know, everything's in Latin. It kind of takes on this Latin meaning as well okay yeah and you know what you'll find out all the time is if people lose the real explanation in popular culture they'll come up with a new one got it so they were latin speakers they well you know I, this could make sense in latin what could that mean uh-huh uh-huh <laughs> but there's one saint in particular who came up with this and really promoted it and then the jesuit order ran with it so it's very very common i just saw vestments the other day with a with a priest in one of our churches that had ihs on the back Okay, so this next one, um, so it's it's kind of this one. I, so, so here I'm, I'm getting even more. Uh, is this is even more complicated to explain? But um, so these are more letters, but they're arranged in a very particular way around a Greek cross. So remember, if you remember, the, so the Greek cross is not like the Latin cross, which is probably more typical. It's uh, it's it's uh crossbars it's crossbar and it's it's main uh um trunk are are equilateral like the one's not higher than the other so it just looks like uh it looks like a straight up and down uh x you know like a like a cross so and in each quadrant of the the arms of the cross there are each of them kind of house four letters and if you go from top left to top right and then bottom left to bottom right it's like I see, and then the next quadrant is XC, and the bottom left quadrant is NI, and the bottom right is KA. Uh, so, and and it, sometimes the some of the letters have have like a kind of like a uh, a little dash over them, um, kind of floating over them. So, but it looks like the main point is that you've got these these letters looks like more Greek inside kind of sitting inside the quadrants of an equilateral cross so what's going on there well actually it's pretty straightforward um if you look at and i'll use the like at a clock in the quadrant where you'd find 10 o'clock uh-huh. you know, the upper left hand corner you have ic with a line over it well later on sigma i won't there's a history why this became takes the form of a c oh so that's actually a sigma and what Greeks would do, and Romans did, when they abbreviated names later on, what they do is the first and last letter of the name. We do that with words like Mr., M and R, yeah, the yeah, first yeah, letter, yeah. last letter, Mr., you know, the period to show it's an abbreviation. Instead of a period, what they do is put a line on the top saying that's holding the word together. 
it's telling you, hey, this isn't a word. It's actually the first and last letter of a word, and the, all the other letters are missing. Mm. Because in Latin, when you have a line over something in a manuscript, it means something you left something out. It's an yeah. abbreviation, like apostrophe. So they're saying, what letter, what, what, what name do we know of that begins with a J and ends with an S? I bet you can get, think of Sunday school. What's the right answer always? Oh, Jesus. Jesus. You've got it, Alex. Okay. (laughs) Jesus. And then the next one we have, which is over at two o'clock. Okay. Right across as we read over there is C-H and S, right? X is a C-H and S with a line over seeing the first, what name can we think of? The first letters are C-H and the last letter is S in Greek. We would say Christ, but they would say Christos. Christos, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it basically says Jesus Christ. Okay. So the top says Jesus Christ. But what about Jesus Christ? Because we have the cross. And this is the beautiful thing. Why This is a particularly beautiful symbol. Those two bottom quadrants, mm-hmm. basically uh, where we have like uh, eight o'clock and four o'clock, that's one word, Nika. Mm. And Nika, like Nike, means victory. It's Greek word for victory. Yeah. Jesus Christ victory. It's saying the cross is actually his victory. He was victorious. It's Jesus Christ victorious on the cross. Yeah, yeah. It's not defeat. It's victory. It's his trophy. Oh, so that's why it's around the cross. I like that. Right. Yeah. So it's, so it's saying this is a trophy of victory. Jesus Christ victory. So if you're going to do that in the top two, the Jesus Christ thing, it's just an abbreviation of the first and last letter. So if you're going to do that in English, it would be J-S-C-T, but it's just in Greek. Right. So it's... it's uh, well I, put, uh, yeah. So, okay, got it. Um, cool. It's Jesus Christ victory. Yeah, I love that about the cross, how it's... Um, the cross is his victory. Right. It's the 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 sign of, of suffering and defeat is now the sign of victory. I love that. Um, okay, so this one is a classic one from... Uh, from the Bible, and you always see this one above, like on the sign on the cross. Where, if you're in the in the scriptures, um, where Pilate writes his inscription, which was uh, "King of the Jews," right? Um, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the King Jews, of the, yeah. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, and um, and of course, there's the controversy of the the. Jewish leaders saying, no, 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 say he said he was king of the Jews. He said, what right. I've written, I've written. Um, but you see it in Christian art and you've got this, this sign that, you know, looks like maybe the size of like a no smoking sign or something. And it just says, I-N-R-I. So it's mm-hmm. four letters, I-N-R-I. So I assume that we've got more, uh, more abbreviations going on here. So what's going on here? Well, the first thing is we're told that the inscription, first of all, was written out. It was written out in in Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. That's right. By the way, that's why they call, they said those three were the holy languages. The argument was for centuries that liturgies had to be in one of those languages because mm-hmm. they were holy languages, Greek, Latin, and Hebrew because they appeared on the cross. That's not a good theological reason, but that's just <laughs> something you'll hear, uh-huh. three, those three languages. But you can't imagine, first of all, people trying to deal with Hebrew and Greek at all would have been a problem in the, in the West, in the Middle Ages. So people began saying, and it's too much to write out. Yeah. So they said, we got to have some way to just abbreviate the Latin, which everybody knows. So they just took Jesus with a J, which is an I in Latin, mm-hmm. you know, okay. N for Nazarenus, Naz- uh, the Nazarene. Rex for king, right? Rex is king in Latin. Udiorum of the of the Jews. Jesus, Nazareth, king of the Jews, I-N-R-I. 
Okay. Okay. Got it. So, so it's just, it's just the Latin anagram for, for what pilot writes. But if you see this, you know, for two reasons, this can't be an Eastern cross. It's, it's, it's Western. You'd say, well, of course, duh, because it's Latin. But there's another reason. In art, the Orthodox believe it's very important that religious art show the theological truths rather than what things would actually look like. Yeah. So actually, on an Orthodox cross, what it normally writes, you have some exceptions, but almost always they write king of glory. Hmm. Write it out. Yeah. Because they're saying it looks like, it's like the Jesus Christ Nika we just had, is actually, this is a victory. Yeah, yeah. Well, This there isn't any, a defeat. Well, are there any other differences between Eastern and Western crucifixes then? Yeah, you can tell. You can amaze your friends. Here's how you can tell if the cross <laughs> is authentically Eastern or Western. One thing, several different things. First of all, look at, the, look at Jesus himself. The tradition in the West is to focus on Jesus' sufferings. And so we often have him as a tormented figure on the cross. He's visibly in suffering. Yeah. In the East, he always sort of looks like he's a club med um, <laughs> on the beach because of the idea is he's victorious. It's more he's restful. You know, he's always, uh, you know, he doesn't look tormented on the cross mm. because they're trying to emphasize this is the moment of his glory. Now is the time for the Son of Man to be glorified. Yeah, yeah. Another thing is, gee, which side does the blood come out from, from Jesus from his side? Well, Romans are very, very uh, literal scientific types, you know, the legal people and the like. And so their view was, well, your heart's on your left side. So a Roman cross, the Christ is pierced in his left side because the blood comes out of his heart. Oh, got okay. it. Yeah, okay. But in the East, remember all the symbolism in the temple in Ezekiel, it talks about the temple where the water is flowing from the right side. It forms mm. that river, etc. You know, coming in Christ is the true temple. So they put the wound on his right side. Got it. Got to it. remind us of the vision of Ezekiel. So they sort of change. Um, of course, it could have gone all the way through. But you know what I'm saying? But they <laughs> sort of uh, put biology a little bit aside and say it would have to go all the way through. It wasn't the fastest way to the heart. Got it. Yeah. Okay. 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 And another thing we have is that the number of nails. In the West, we have three nails, because three is a good number that way. So you have one for each hand, and then the two feet, one's on top of the other. You know, save nails. Okay. Whereas in the East, you have each one, you have four nails. So you have each foot is separately nailed. Oh, I see. Well, that's easy so, to remember. So actually, you can tell, right, authentically. those. So if you have a Western cross, what you're going to find is you're going to have INRI at the top. You're going to have, whereas Eastern cross will have King of Glory, almost always. Uh, the side that Christ is bleeding from in the east, he bleeds from his right side because of the vision of Ezekiel, the sim symbolism of that. Where in the left, we do more like what would your, your family doctor say on the left side. I see, yeah. Both are possible, of course. You can go all the way through with it. With, it's hard to believe the soldier would go to all that trouble uh, <laughs> of going to the wrong side, you know, to, to pierce his heart. Sure. Uh, the aspect of Christ is, uh, you know, he's typically suffering in the West. He's suffering. He's, when he's painted, he's pale. Uh, you know, he, you know, he looks dead. Yeah. Whereas in the East, he's always emphasizes repose. Mm, mm -hmm. And finally, number of nails, three in the West, four in the East. Every, both, both feet get their own nail in the East. Whereas the idea of three, the, the, the three, three nails in the, in the West. So let's talk about another one that I've rarely, rarely, if ever seen. Um, I think when you first look at it, it, it just looks like an anchor, like a ship anchor. Um, kind of that classic shape of it where you got the like tall, uh, you know, metal bar looking thing with the curved, um, 
almost like close parenthesis down at the bottom. But then if if I, uh, you know, reading into it maybe a little bit, um, but it seems like the top of it is, the top of the anchor is pretty exaggerated to look like a cross. So you've got a crossbar across across the top of the, the main uh, mast there. And then... Uh, and then in the middle of the mast, kind of between the curved part and the cross, it looks like someone just like put a like a heart like from a Hallmark card. Just kind yeah, of I love New York shirt. Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. So you, it's it's got a kind of cross looking anchor with a heart pasted right in the middle of it. So so what is this thing? Well, it doesn't mean I love to pray when I fish. <laughs> it does not mean that. Uh, what it means is traditionally the three theological virtues, faith, hope and love. The symbol of faith is a cross. Mm hmm. Anchor, we're told in Hebrews 6, remember, it talks about our hope is like an anchor. And so anchor is the traditional sign of the virtue of hope. And of course, love is the heart. Okay. And so the, we see them in churches and things put separately, but sometimes in very recent times, people just put, superimpose them on one another. But it is true that you'll, the, from ancient times, we have the anchor because it's mentioned in Hebrews as a sign of hope. You'll see mm -hmm. anytime you see an anchor, it's hope. And the cross is often used for faith. Yeah. You know, if you have to have one of those virtues, that's what goes with it. And the heart obviously can be for love. So this particular version we have, where you put all three, superimpose them, you know, where the anchor is, the top of the anchor is extended to look like a cross and then have that heart, like an I love you New York shirt, you know, in the, in the middle of it is specifically say faith, hope and love, theological virtues. Got it. So, okay. So, um, so these ones are, are kind of exciting, Stephen. Um, they're animals. And I'll, uh, and, and we've already done the fish, so, uh, there's, but there's two other animals and I'll start with the one that I know and it's like a, and it's a, it's, it's a, this might surprise some people, but it's a, it's a pelican. It's like a, yeah. like a, a big seabird. And very often it's like, you know, I mean this, there's no standard shape for this, but very often it's like sitting in a nest with a bunch of young pelicans and it and it's got a bunch of little bloody marks in its in its breast, um, and uh, actually it, it's funny because it reminds me of this. Uh, there's an old, I believe, written by Thomas Aquinas, but there's an old Latin hymn uh, called "Adoro te devote," and there's a verse in it that translated in the English says, "Bring the tender tale true of the pelican," and then it goes on talking about Jesus's blood and the. Uh, and the Eucharist. So what is up with this pelican? Why would we be talking about a pelican? Yeah, well, pelicans are not the first. Um, normally, most people don't feel pious thoughts when they see pelicans. No. But the, the, the reason for this, though, actually, is that in the medieval understanding, there was popular legends that went with many animals. And with the pelican, the legend was that the pelican was so devoted to her young that if she could not otherwise feed them, if she couldn't find food for them, she would actually... Uh, use her her beak to break into her in, into her own body to so it draw blood so they could she could give her own she could give up her life her blood to give them life oh, to feed okay. them so I can see why this would be tied and this to was the, the popular science at the time people believe that was true okay, this, yeah, is, okay. this is one of the things you know you like like everyone knows that what happens with if you have a, have a phoenix for example <laughs> yeah yeah but people thought this was true and so they thought what a beautiful independent was a pagan belief. Mm -hmm. And so they say, wouldn't this be beautiful? Isn't that a wonderful image of Christ? Yeah. You know, who to take care of, of his own would actually allow himself to die to feed others with his life, give his life for others, the vision of giving his life for others. Got it. So, but... Christ self-giving in the Eucharist, yeah. 
But just to be clear, you wouldn't see this happening on the Discovery Channel. No, I wouldn't wait for this to be on the Discovery Channel. <laughs> okay, got it. No, but that, that's true. That is a, that is that is a beautiful image. Are there any other? Did 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 they run with any other uh, fun oh, animal yes, legends? The peacock. Uh, this is talk about people who just don't get around enough. One of the things that strikes <laughs> you in ancient literature is like Herodotus, the great Greek historian. Um, is when he knows, can check things out, he does. But very often in the world, people didn't have the kind of knowledge we do. And so they would take what they actually knew with with verified rumors they got from other people. Mm -hmm. So funny thing when you Herodotus, the stuff he's actually talking about he knows himself is pretty realistic. He's not, but the, the crazy tales he gets from other people, he believes anything. Okay. <laughs> I mean, anything, nothing is too wild. And so one of the things with a peacock, that kind of thing, was people didn't run into many dead peacocks apparently because they had a popular view that the peacock's flesh didn't decay okay got it yeah. now anyone's been around dead peacocks will know i've got to tell you folks that's not true yeah okay <laughs> not that i've spent quality time with dead peacocks but i have it on the best authority all animals die and rot and so but because of this they said the sign of immortality got it so you'll see a lot of peacocks in churches are symbolizing immortality Oh, interesting. It's a very common medieval symbol. The, the Middle Ages, they loved animals and symbolism, big mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. And so you'll see it a lot of church uh, stained, medieval stained glass. So you'll see pelicans and peacocks. Peacocks are about immortality because, you know, even though it dies, the flesh does not decay. Nice. Well, those are fun. Yeah. Um, also, we've, we've got some animals. Uh, we've, we've gone over these before in a previous episode, Father Stephen, but we've got some animals uh, actually that appear often representing the, the four Gospels. Um, yeah. so, so once again, right, those are the man for Matthew, the lion for Mark, the ox for Luke and the eagle for John. If I right. can just give you my, the answer on my, my exams, <clears throat> here we go. So, uh, first of all, uh, the man is Matthew, right? Because the theme of Matthew's gospel is, uh, is David, right? Is that he's the king. Son of man. Yeah. Son it of also man. begins with a genealogy. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then we've got Mark, uh, and it's the lion because that that has a special tie. Is it a special tie to John the Baptist? Um, right, because the, John the Baptist is in the desert, and the lions are thought, were, were thought to or be the, the wilderness. Desert. Yeah, okay. And so the, it starts out in the desert, and that's where actually they thought of lions, not of jungles. They thought of lions as being in the... Or there's different. There's a word, mithbar in, in Hebrew means wilderness. So it means a place that's unsuitable for agriculture, but it doesn't always mean a desert like sand and things. Right. Like rocky things, yeah. So I'm going to come back to the ox in just a second, but I do remember that the eagle represents John because John as the theologian is kind of giving us the overview or the bird's eye view. Right. Um, he soars. Yeah. But so, but what, what, I cannot remember why the, why ox is, why the ox is Luke. Because the first scene in Luke's gospel is in the temple where they sacrifice animals. Oh, I see. Okay. Okay. Ah, missed that one. All right. Well, three out of four is okay. So they, they said, well, gee, um, this came from as early as Irenaeus, but he didn't have the same associations because he had, had Mark and John trade. I Mark see. gets the eagle and John gets the ox, or the lion rather. Right. But the, all but, the, the reason for those four, right, is they come from that vision in Ezekiel. Well, from right? two. It's uh -huh. funny because in Ezekiel, each of the animals has all four faces. That's right. Whereas that's right. In, the, in the book of Revelation, Revelation they, they, they don't share faces. You know, they each have their own face. That's right. Mm -hmm. 
Great. Let's let's move on to. Um, so we've talked briefly about that there are different types of crosses, and these will probably be very familiar to everyone. Um, but let's. There's a few of them, so let's go over them. So we've already talked about the Latin cross, right? Which is more or less what you would, you know, here in the United States, especially what you would more or less expect, you know, draw a Christian cross and you're going to draw the tall kind of main stem and then the uh, crossbar being shorter, uh, the, the horizontal crossbar being uh, a little shorter than the, uh, than the tall one, right? Yeah, um, a lot. Think about put your hands out and think mm-hmm. about your body standing up and your, your, your standing body is longer than your hands stretched out. Yeah. So then we got the Greek one, which is this equal length two bars. So it's kind mm-hmm. of just more equilateral. And then uh, but tell us about some other ones as well. Well, the Franciscan order loved tau, uh, which is basically think of the letter T. If you just had, if you just put the, if you cut off the top of a cross, the, okay. the letter yeah. T, like that's yeah. tau. Uh, you know that that cross is um, the Franciscans like because actually it's probably more realistic in the sense that you'd probably just you know be, uh, you know minimize just put one on top of the other. But they also thought like the simplicity. What's the simplest thing you could do? Very mm-hmm. Franciscan. Mm-hmm. We have a Canterbury cross, which is typically used for Anglicans a lot. Yeah, that How one would you describe that? So that one kind of looks like a steering wheel often that well is kind put. of in the shape of a cross. <laughs> I mean, like, it's like if you can just kind of uh, split out some of the crossbars, but it's almost like the cross is sort of kind of like a sunburst, like flaring out into a steering wheel almost. Um, well put yeah. yeah like with four different rays maybe you could see a flower in it too it's probably kind of a rorschach test for you i don't know why i see a steering wheel but but yeah that's a really good description and <laughs> that and yeah that, that's what the canterbury cross it's it looks it's round on the outside is the thing yeah. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. okay then there's another one that looks like uh i don't know it looks like a, a kind of like a a target reticle inside of uh, a rifle scope you so you've got like Again, kind of the Greek equilateral cross, but then a, right in the dead center of it is a circle. Kind of, so it's like a, it's like a a, a cross overlaying a circle. Um, this is what you see in all those Irish crosses. You know those big uh, crosses, uh, stone crosses in Ireland. Right, right, this right. This is the Celtic cross. Okay. And what it is is in Celtic culture, the combination of a cross over with a like a halo in the middle between mm. where the two crossbars meet is a symbol of of eternity immortality right 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 so, so you have that idea that you know cross and immortality okay got it so that's yeah that's that celtic one uh and then there's this one which has got, become really really popular in recent years i feel like i see it on everywhere from uh tattoos to uh to to church logos um and it's 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 a greek cross uh so an equilateral cross and then inside each of the four quadrants is another tiny little cross. Um, So so what's going on with that one? Well, let me tell you the most uh, popular uh, interpretations today and then tell you something like might be a little less esoteric is um, it used to be called the Crusader cross um, is uh, but it's a beautiful cross because it stands people normally take it to the four quarters of the world like the cross going out on mission from Jerusalem. It's the Jerusalem cross. I see. Okay. And the, going because Jerusalem is the home base for the church, right? The first chase churches on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem, and then goes out to the four corners of the world. Yeah. So you have the the church in Jerusalem and going out to the four corners of the world. Sometimes you use the symbol of the four evangelists. Mm. You know the you know Christ, and then the the gospel of Christ going out through the four evangelists. Sometimes the five wounds of Christ, the wound in his side is the big cross, 
and then the wounds in his feet and his hands. Because even no matter how many night nails you use, there's every every one of the extremities is pierced. Got it. Got it. Okay. Okay. Cool. That makes sense. Actually, another thing, probably historically, is that for the Crusade, is there were they had Western Europe was broken into what they call four nations, like the Germanic nation, you know, those kind of things. The and that I think it it probably had to do with the four nations involved. You know, the four um, four nations of the Crusaders. Yeah. Okay, so so this last one, um, I I felt pretty sure that this last one was not Christian at all. I thought it was some kind of pagan or like New Agey sort of thing, um, until I went to Hungary oh, Lord, and yeah. I saw this cross everywhere, usually being held by their patron saint, Saint Stephen. Um, but it's it's a cross, but it, there's three bars on it. There's the so big tall. Again, big, tall main mask, uh, uh, di- uh, vertical one, and then the the little there's there's two little horizontal ones. One where you would expect it in a regular Latin cross, but then there's another one, often a bit longer one, right below that one, and then and then sometimes at the bottom there's there's another bar all the way down at the bottom, but it's kind of like at a diagonal, um, at a diagonal, so. So what, like that, that one is just, it's sort of like a mutant cross. I feel like it grew a bunch of extra limbs. <laughs> well, what they, you're doing is basically there are, there are three crossbars. The one at the top is simply where the names are, where the name is, where the Jesus Nazareth King of the Jews would have been. Yeah. So it's simply, it's, they have a bar there for where the, uh, the, um, the writing would have been. Uh-huh. Then they have uh-huh. the regular bar for his hands. But remember... Part of the idea of crucifixion was you you would you'd either tie the feet that way or put something they stand on because the idea was you keep pushing yourself up to get a breath. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so they have that bottom bar. So that's the Slavic cross, but something normally what happens in Russian version of that uh-huh. is that, that bar is crooked. Yeah. And there are Slavic crosses where you have a you have the big regular bar, then at the top where the name would be you have a smaller bar, but it crosses. You have three it has three bars in the cross, one for the heading, one for the feet, and then this big one, but you see so it's a cross with three bars. But with the Slavic one what happens is you have it's it's crooked. The where the feet are is crooked. Why? And the story that they called it they call it a St. Andrew's cross by the way, is what the mm. Russians call it. Is they're saying that it's pointing up that the the one is pointing up towards the good thief on Christ's right, and down for the other thief on Christ's left. Oh, nice, nice. Okay. And it's basically challenges, basically saying the cross comes to us as a challenge to accept the offer of salvation, which like ah, the good thief, yeah. which is the which is of hope, or also it's pr- promising judgment otherwise. Okay, so it's a little it's a little thumbs up, thumbs down at the bottom there. It's our warning that the cross can be our great no, our great hope. Or it'll be our condemnation if we turn that down, like in John's Gospel. Yeah, yeah. So that's yeah. what, and they they claim that Saint Andrew uh, preached in what today would be the Ukraine. They used to call it Sarmatia. It's the area right north of the mm-hmm. Black Sea. And so, according to tradition, he preached there, and he used a cross like that. Like their tradition is like we have uh, Patrick uh, using a, a three leaf clover for the Trinity, mm-hmm, and he used mm-hmm. to. Here's the good news. You know, this man died for you, and it's like the good thief. If you, yeah. you turn in your need and you turn to him, you can have salvation. If you turn this down, yeah. <laughs> and so it was like the challenge. The cross is a challenge. We embrace salvation or we got don't. It. So then we've got again, we've got a, a little uh, symbolic theological lesson there. Always, yeah. uh, it, there's never anything Eastern that doesn't have a, a theology attached to it. That's great. Well, uh, apologies to my um, to my Hungarian friends for 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 that. I was I was I was soon corrected. 
Um, I think actually uh, that that cross actually appears on the Hungarian uh, crest, you know, that's on, uh, I think it's on the flag, but yeah. Anyway. Well, great. Well, thanks Father Stephen. Anything else you have for us on uh, common Christian symbols? No, I think that's a good, uh, this is by no means exhaustive, but these are things we all of us see all the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, it's good to know these basic uh, symbols because we'll see them a lot in architecture and a lot in jewelry and things. And it's good to know. Uh, again, some of them are so rich, I think, when I look at the Jerusalem cross. Uh, by the way, when you talked about people having a tattoo, there was a tradition back in um, in days when people would make the pilgrimage. Mm-hmm. It was sort of a sign you'd made the pilgrimage to Jerusalem. A lot of people would get a little tattoo put on their, you know, mm-hmm. on their wrist and then go back as a sign they'd made the pilgrimage. Oh, cool. Okay. Sort of like, you know, Muslims, uh, if you've gone on the pilgrimage, you're called a hajj, someone who's made yeah. you know, the, yeah, a hajj, someone who's yeah. made the, the, someone who's made the pilgrimage, the hajj is the pilgrimage, hajj is someone who's made the pilgrimage. But it was a way of saying you had actually been to the sites of Christ. So it was uh. used for that purpose. But I love the idea of the gospel going to the four corners of the earth. I think it's a, you know, a beautiful type of, uh, of message there. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, I like the Slavic cross, the challenge yeah. of the cross. And I like uh, Jesus Christus Nika, you know, mm-hmm. Jesus Christ, victory. Victory over death and sin. Well, thanks so much, Father Stephen. Thank you for listening to Word and Table. We'll be back next week for more on liturgy, sacrament, and the great tradition of Christian worship. Thanks for listening. <laughs>